0: In one of my prior ministries, I did a survey of the prayer requests that were submitted to our pastors. Some of these prayer requests were personal in nature, as in, you know, please pray for me, and some were intercessory, as in, please pray for this other person. And here were the results of that survey. Sixty percent of these prayer requests were about health concerns, twenty percent were about other practical needs. A new job, a relocation, the purchase of a home, family relationships. 10% were for safety when traveling. 8% involved some form of confession. And, And you might say, well, you know, confession's a private matter between me and God, and yet Scripture does encourage us to confess our sins to one another. But I don't know that we actually do that a lot. And we certainly didn't in this survey. Just 8%. 1% of these prayer requests were focused on the salvation of a person who was spiritually lost. And the final 1% were focused on the spiritual growth of another believer. So I find that very illuminating the great majority of those requests, 90% were focused on some kind of physical need. Now, Scripture makes it clear that God cares about our daily needs, and so we should pray about such things for ourselves and for others. And yet, as this informal survey makes clear, we we sometimes overlook the importance of praying for spiritual needs. Only 10% of those prayer requests in my survey focused on spiritual issues. And I think that's a huge oversight because Scripture plainly tells us that God cares far more about our spiritual condition than our physical condition. After all, Jesus died for our sins, not for our health. And when we continually put our physical needs first in prayer, I think we get it backwards. More than anything, our loving Father wants to see you and I spiritually flourish. Because when we spiritually flourish, it will help us keep the physical part of life and our daily needs in proper perspective. And so I am convinced that God wants us to make spiritual concerns and spiritual issues the biggest priority when we pray. And not just when we pray for ourselves, but when we pray for other people. So I find myself wondering, how might your prayers and mine be different if we prayed for the spiritual vitality of other believers? What might that kind of intercessory prayer look like? Well, we don't have to guess because we have numerous examples in the Bible In particular, the Apostle Paul loved to pray for the spiritual well-being of other Christians, and we find one such prayer written for us in the letter to the Ephesians. Now the Christians living in Ephesus in the first century, they desperately needed prayer because they lived in a very ungodly city. It was a city focused on idol worship and ungodly lifestyles. It was a city where it was not easy to be a follower of Jesus. So the believers faced faced great challenges to living by faith. And yes, it's true. They had daily needs. They needed good jobs and they needed housing. And yes, they wanted good health and good relationships. But their greatest need was to spiritually flourish so they could live by faith in the midst of an unbelieving culture. And that's what the Apostle Paul prayed for. Well, guess what? We are a lot like the Ephesians because we too live in a world that does not value our faith. We live in a society where it's so much easier to embrace the values of the culture rather than the values of God's kingdom. And so we need to pray for each other, praying that God would help each of us to spiritually flourish so that no matter what life throws at us, no matter what the culture throws at us, we can hold firmly on to Jesus. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, a prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit and recorded in Ephesians chapter 3, shows us one way to do just that. So we're going to learn how to pray a prayer of intercession inspired by the Spirit. We can pray for each other to spiritually flourish. Now we're going to look at this prayer in just a minute, but before we do, I want us to understand what I see as the three key components of Paul's prayer. Because I believe he offers three principles that can help shape our own prayers. And here's the three principles, positioning, positioning, Flourishing, and expecting. Positioning, flourishing, expecting. And if we keep those three things in mind, we can offer our own powerful prayers of intercession for one another just as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. So let's start by looking at the opening words of verse 14 where Paul talks about positioning. He writes, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And that simple phrase highlights something that I think we often overlook. Paul's kneeling in prayer, which tells us that prayer is not just talking with God. Prayer also often involves the position of our body. And we understand this because on a Sunday morning when we gather here, if I say, let's pray, what do most of you do? bow your head, and many of you fold your hands. And why do you do that? Because you've taught or, been, or you've been taught or learned that that's the usual position for prayer. You know what? That wasn't the usual position for Christians in the first century. You know how Paul in the early church prayed? They stood. And they went like this and they rocked. Because that's how Jews prayed. And all the first Christians were Jews. So they brought that prayer practice into the church. Oh, Father, praying like this. But now in this case, Paul breaks his normal pattern. And he kneels. Paul changes his position. Little side note, for those of you that think about logistics, you think, okay, he's kneeling, and how's he going to write this prayer down? (laughs) Remember, Paul dictates his letters. So, I believe what we have here is Paul literally kneeling in his room and praying to God as his faithful scribe is recording this prayer for the believers in Ephesus. But here's the bigger picture Paul's change in position tells us that it's good at times for you and I to involve our bodies in prayer in different ways. Do you ever do that? I do. I pray in all kinds of different positions. Sometimes I sit. Sometimes I stand. Sometimes I bow my head. Sometimes I lift my head. Sometimes I lift my hands. If I'm alone, sometimes I pray out loud. Sometimes at the top of my lungs. Sometimes I take prayer walks. When we involve our bodies, it's a way for us to bring our entire selves, our mind, our heart, our soul, and yes, our body too, into the act of prayer. And what Paul is modeling for us is that by changing position for a particular prayer, it's a way to emphasize to ourselves and to God, hey, this prayer is different. I'm changing position to emphasize to me and to you, Lord, that this prayer is special. And so what's Paul doing here? He's kneeling because it's a position of great humility. He is approaching God humbly and making a very special request. And what is it that's so special about this particular prayer? He's praying for the church. And in particular, what he's praying for is to see believers spiritually flourishing. Let's take a look. and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. My goodness, does he pack a lot into that little prayer. But but let me give you a little context here. When Paul says, for this reason, he's telling us that this prayer is flowing out of everything he's written so far in Ephesians. And what he's primarily focused on are the incredible spiritual riches that God has given to believers, that we get to experience through Jesus, and the amazing unity that God has established between Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews. Paul is in awe of the fact that God has broken down ages old ethnic and spiritual barriers to unite all people through Jesus Christ. And that's why a Jewish Christian like Paul can be a spiritual brother to the Greek Christians of Ephesus. Now now in our day, I think we're pretty used to thinking of the church as a cross-cultural community because of our investment in in missions around the world. But for the very first Christians, this was culture-transforming stuff. It was new, it was different, it was groundbreaking. And Paul is so overwhelmed by the way Jesus brings diverse groups of people together that it drives him to his knees in prayer. And he passionately intercedes for this diverse group that God has formed into a family. He's praying for the family of God. And yet, if you were paying attention, Paul's words about family in verse 15 really don't make immediate sense. We might even find ourselves asking, how does every family get its name from God? Well, Well, they don't. My family's not named for God, and neither is yours. Paul's not literally referring to every human family that ever lived. He's simply saying that all believers, those now living and those already in heaven, are united as a family through Jesus. So as Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus, he wants them to realize that they are just one part of God's global and eternal family. And it's good for us to remember that as well. Thurston Christian Church, we're a family. And we're one part of a worldwide family transcultural, transnational family that's united through Jesus Christ. We all bear his name. And that's what brings us together and breaks down barriers. Here's where it gets very interesting. As we look at the rest of Paul's prayer, we need to notice something significant. Nowhere in this prayer does Paul mention a physical need doesn't mention the kind of stuff we usually pray about. Instead, he asks God to help these believers spiritually flourish because that's their greatest need. And so, for example, he prays for the Holy Spirit to strengthen their inner being, which refers to their conscience and their will. And, oh, do they need to be strengthened in their conscience and their will because they live in a city full of temptation. The temptation to engage in ungodly sexual behavior. The temptation to drink to excess. The temptation to worship idols because that's what you do in that culture. And of course, people want to fit in with their neighbors. We know what those temptations are like, don't we? We know what it's like to be tempted to to fit in and to follow the culture, to go along to get along. And we find ourselves engaging in inappropriate behavior. All of these temptations lure us away from God. And then in addition to overt temptation, we also face the more subtle problem of benign indifference. That's when we let our busyness distract us from God. If we're not careful, it can be really easy to find ourselves in a place where we're not actively sinning, we're just neglecting to maintain our spiritual lifeline with Jesus. Paul obviously doesn't want any of that to happen to his brothers and sisters in Ephesus, so he prays for them to be spiritually strong, to have a strong conscience, a strong will, A strong faith and to be full of love. He prays for them to embrace the fullness of God's love because love actually surpasses knowledge as Paul says in verse 19. Now why does Paul emphasize love over knowledge? It's because in the Greek culture of emphasis knowledge is king. Ephesian citizens love knowledge more than they love love. And so when people out of that culture become followers of Jesus, they need to be very careful that their love of knowledge doesn't overrule their love of love. Now now Paul himself is a great scholar, so he's not denying the value of knowledge. He just knows that knowledge by itself does not unite people. And in fact, in certain cases, knowledge even becomes a weapon of the prideful. And I had a vivid example of this once in a church where I previously served. Two of the most biblically knowledgeable people in that congregation were two of the most divisive people. And that's because they were so full of pride about all of their Bible knowledge. They looked down on others who didn't have their knowledge and their education, who didn't know what they knew. And they were harshly critical of people who disagreed with them. Because obviously those people were ignorant and uninformed. Those two individuals caused a lot of relational conflict because they loved knowledge more than they loved to love and sadly my experience wasn't unusual. I've consulted with a lot of churches over the years and I can point to congregation after congregation where people are united in knowledge because they agree on core doctrine and yet they have torn each other apart over other issues because they have not learned to love how to love. And Because of their culture in which they live, the Ephesians are prone to that problem and that's why Paul prays for them to be overwhelmed by God's love and if they learn to radiate the love of God, oh, then, then they will spiritually flourish. Then they'll be led by the Holy Spirit. They will be transformed. And the same is true for us. You see, when we're full of love and led by the Spirit, we're so much likely, so much more likely to look at life the eyes of Jesus. And then this brings us back full circle to physical needs because if we're spiritually flourishing, when we do pray for practical needs, we just might pray about them differently because we've been changed by the love in our hearts and by the leadership of the Spirit. And here's some examples. If, if, if I'm in a broken relationship, my normal tendency might be to pray, be to pray, "Lord, would you fix them?" But if I'm full of love, if I'm being led by the Spirit, if I'm spiritually flourishing, I just might pray and say, "God, can you show me if I need to change?" If I'm living paycheck to paycheck and struggling financially I normally might be tempted to pray say God please give me more but if I'm being led by the Spirit I might pray this way Father until such time as you might bless me with more please help me to be a better steward of what I have now if I have a physical need An urgent severe physical need I might pray this way Lord heal me heal me I want to be well but if I'm led by the Spirit I might pray this way father I earnestly desire to be healed but whatever happens help me to hold on to you and to trust you and let me lead you through this process and along the way, as I deal with my own physical battles, please help me to take my eyes off myself and be aware of the people around me. And perhaps could I have the opportunity to be the light of Jesus Christ to the doctors and nurses that I come in contact with. When we're overwhelmed by the love of Jesus and we're full of that love and full of the Spirit, we we do pray differently. And if we're praying differently for ourselves, then the Holy Spirit can show us how to pray differently for others as well. Here's the bottom line of this prayer. More than anything, the Apostle Paul wants to see followers of Jesus spiritually flourishing, and that's why he prays the way he does. But there's another interesting part to this prayer. You see, see we can't just pray this way, And then get up and leave our prayer times and and go about our normal routines as if nothing has changed. And and I think sometimes how we behave is if we're kind of taking our prayers for granted. That we pray, and we may pray diligently and passionately, but we don't live with a sense of expectation. Expectation. but when we're strengthened by the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit and we pray these kinds of prayers, then I think we're going to be looking around to see where God is at work and we will be expecting God to do incredible things. Things beyond what we could ask or even imagine. And Paul closes his prayer with this thought that of him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think that's one of the greatest benedictions to a prayer that's ever been inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul's deepest desire is for the church of Jesus Christ to reveal God's glory, and that means he wants people of faith, people like you and me, to live in such a way that the world will see something different in each of us and in our life together. Outsiders will see in us a love and family unity that they can't explain. They'll see us taking the teachings of Jesus seriously, to attitudes and actions that display the overwhelming love of God. And so as Paul intercedes for the church, he does not ask God to make every believer in Ephesus healthy, wealthy, and wise. He doesn't ask God to give them all fine houses and great jobs and nice cars because they didn't have cars back then. Instead... He prays for God's power to be at work within them and through them and he shapes this prayer by focusing on three things, positioning and flourishing and expecting. Now I want to highlight something that's not in the passage but I think becomes clear when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul. You see, because he was expecting God to do great things, that meant when he wasn't praying, he was always looking around. He was looking to see where God was was at work. And this meant that he was ready and available when there were opportunities for him to actually be a part of the answers to his own prayers. For example, the Ephesians needed to learn how to live out the love of God in daily life. Well, Paul didn't just write this letter and offer this prayer and say, good luck, you're on your own. He actually went to Ephesus. and He spent three years living among them where he could show them what God's love looked like in daily life. In other words, Paul's prayers of intercession for the church weren't passive. They were active prayers where he was praying on behalf of the church and then he was listening to God and then if the Spirit gave him a little nudge, he was willing to be part of the answer. Now here's what I I sometimes find. We, We read these things in the Bible and we go, oh, that's so cool that God did all those things, but we kind of treat them as if they're ancient history. And yet... The things that we read here, oh they still happen in our modern world. What Paul prayed for still does happen. And it was a reality in the life of a woman named Henrietta Mears. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she was an incredible woman of influence. When Henrietta was just a child, her parents diligently prayed for her because they wanted their daughter to grow up and make the decision to live as a faithful follower of Jesus. And what's interesting, they weren't very concerned whether she prospered materially or physically. What they wanted more than anything was for their daughter to spiritually flourish. And oh, did God answer that prayer. He did so much more than they ever could have asked or thought or imagined. Henrietta became a Christian at a young age, and throughout her life she devoted herself to prayer. And one of the most common things her friends heard her say was this I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. We'll just have to pray and see what God wants. And oh, she did that faithfully. And she prayed for herself, of course, but she mostly prayed for the church. And her prayers focused on the need for believers to spiritually flourish. And what I find really cool is just like the Apostle Paul, as she prayed for the church to flourish, if the Holy Spirit gave her a nudge, she was willing to become part of the answer to her own prayers. For example, she saw a need for people to move beyond church attendance and learn and grow so they could become disciples of Jesus. So she prayed for the church that they would spiritually flourish that way, and the Holy Spirit prompted her to become the founder of Gospel Light. And some of you know that name. A publisher of Christian teaching materials and Sunday school materials for the church. Henry Ademir started that publishing company. She was a resident of Southern California and she saw a need for Christians to have a place where they could get away to experience times of spiritual refreshment and renewal. And so she prayed for God to meet that need for the church and the Holy Spirit prompted her to become the founder of Forest Home, which is one of the premier Christian camps and conference centers in our nation. And she saw a need for Christians to have a grasp of the whole Bible so that they could get a picture of the span of God's unfolding story over time. And so she prayed for God to meet that need in the church, and the Spirit prompted her to write a Bible called, what, to write a book called, What the Bible is All About. And that book has been in print continuously since the 1950s and has sold more than 4 million copies. And then, for many years, Henrietta led the college group at a large church in Los Angeles. And at the peak, as many as 300 young men and women were coming to her college group every week. And she was teaching and training them how to live as faithful followers of Jesus. But here's the key piece, she didn't just teach them the Bible. She she didn't just talk about the life of discipleship, she prayed, she interceded for those young men and women in her class, asking God to help them spiritually flourish. And as a result of her teaching and her intercessory prayers, hundreds of those college students went on to live lives of spiritual significance in business, in education, in medicine, in missions, in ministry. People who considered Henrietta Mears to be a significant spiritual mentor included Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, our nation's largest college ministry. And another person who viewed Henrietta Mears as a major spiritual mentor was a name you all know, evangelist Billy Graham. How could those things happen? a very simple, ordinary woman. Well, they happened because Henrietta's parents prayed for her asking God, would you help our daughter to grow up and spiritually flourish? And then as she grew up and as she lived her life, she continually prayed for the church to spiritually flourish. And God answered those prayers in her and through her by doing more than anyone ever could ask or imagine. But here's the other side of the coin. God did not always help Henrietta physically flourish. She battled muscular rheumatism as a child and it was pretty debilitating and she had extremely poor eyesight throughout her life. At one point her doctors even thought she might go blind. Thankfully she didn't but she never saw well and I see her story as a powerful reminder of the Heavenly Father's priorities for His children. More than anything He wants us to spiritually flourish. Way more than physically flourish. Because when we spiritually flourish that's when we will be a blessing to each other and to the world around us. And it all starts with prayer. Whenever believers intercede for each other, as the Apostle Paul did, and as Henrietta Mears did, who knows what God might do. I think there's a great invitation here to take this Spirit-inspired prayer and make it our prayer. And let's ask God to help each other spiritually flourish. And let's ask God to do something in our midst and in us and through us that goes far beyond what we ever could expect or imagine so that God will be honored in our lives and in our church and in our city so that Jesus will get the glory. I want to close in prayer this morning by taking Paul's prayer and making it my prayer. And I want to offer it to God as a prayer of intercession for all of us. Let's pray. Holy Father, I kneel before you in humility this morning because you are the Father of all who believe in heaven and on earth. And I pray, Father, that out of your rich and overwhelming glory, you may graciously strengthen every member of Thurston Christian Church with spiritual power. Spiritual power that comes from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. I pray that Jesus would make his home in the mind and heart and soul and conscience of each person in our fellowship as a direct result of their own expression of faith. Oh, Father, help each of us to be strong and unshakable in faith. And I pray that we all will have our roots deeply planted in Christ's love so we can grasp, like the faithful believers who've gone before us, how big and broad and deep the love of Jesus actually is. Please help us to know this love, even though it's beyond what we can completely understand so that we might experience the fullness of you in our daily lives. Help us to be so overwhelmed by your love that each of us will spiritually flourish. Now to you, Father, to you who are able to do far more than we ever could ask, think, or imagine, according to the power of this Holy Spirit at work within each of us, to you be glory in your church and in Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.